Take it, boys. Mr. Salmon, bring me a dream. Boom, 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 boom. Hey, we're going down to the sock hop. Is the sock hop is the one where the girls ask the guys to the dance. Is that how that works? I think that's the Sadie Hawkins dance, man. <laughs> that tells you how many dances I attended in high school. Like two. Ladies. And I think I went stag. Ladies listening, <laughs> feel free to ask us to a high school dance. Actually, don't. I think most of us are in our 40s. That would be weird as shit. Yeah, I, uh, I, I pass on that offer, so do not ask me to a high school dance. <laughs> <laughs> I will be a chaperone. That's what I'm at the age group for at this point. Yeah. Well, speaking of high school, in theme with today's movie, which is Carrie from 1976, what was one of the most embarrassing things that you did or had happen to you? When you were in high school, I think I might be like a PSA for uh, children. When we when adults say high school does not matter, it's I can't remember anything embarrassing that happened in high school besides general just teen embarrassment. Um, I mean, I'm sure I know for a fact that I did stupid shit in high school that was tremendously traumatic at the time. Uh, but now looking back at it, what, like 15 years later, I can't remember any of it high school is one big blur lucky you (laughs) it doesn't have to be embarrassment on the level of having some substance poured on you at your senior prom john i'm sure there's some event that you could needle down and say yep this was it this sucked a lot um no well okay yes (laughs) i mean but it's like so minor i mean like this is like such a stupid thing but i do remember I must have been like 13 or 14 years old um, and a girl asked me to hold her hand and my palm got very sweaty at that and then she dropped it. It was like, ew, that's gross. Uh, And I was, you know what? She's right. That was gross. Uh, So that happened. Hey, Garrett. Hey, Garrett. Hey, what? Did you know that we were doing a podcast with Kid Cool over here? Never did anything embarrassing his whole life except had palmy, sweaty hands. I don't think that's true. I've been, I mean, I'm, I'm, I believe I've done many embarrassing things. I think if you asked my friends, they would have many of embarrassing stories. I just have blocked them all out of my memory. I know I was not cool. I'm jealous of John's ability to forget about all the terrible things from high school. <laughs> or forget about pretty much everything. Well, let me try to open that door for you, John. As you might know, I was not much of a ladies' man in high school. I didn't have any experience. So what I did with the girl that I was head over heels for in, say, freshman year, I think it was, I wrote her a love letter. It was really sappy, and it was really lame, and she didn't tell me about it and never responded to me for a few days until I finally found her in our English class in between the bell ringings. And I was like, hey, did you get around to reading that letter? She was just like, oh, yeah, I just want to be friends. And I was like... Okay, that's cool. It's <laughs> just like turned around and walked off. Ouch. Wow. Uh, you know, that actually, that's a very good way. Of, she could have could have gone much worse. I mean, if it were a movie, she would have like printed flyers of your letter and thrown them all over the high school or something. Well, sure. She was pretty nice about it, but I was really doing the math on, you know, she probably didn't say anything for a good reason, but I have to know, you know, one of those things, like I couldn't leave it alone until I knew 100% mm-hmm. uh, that she thought I was a loser. So I, I guaranteed that and then uh, live with my shame. So That's right. And then Dikembe Matambo walked up and goes, no, no, no. <laughs> you know what, Mark? There's no shame. You shot your shot. That's respect. Thanks. Can we take a moment to talk about the the tag team scoop? There it is, commercial 
because my God. Oh, those commercials, man. Is there anything greater than 90s hip hop artists doing a song about ice cream? Because if there is, I don't want to know about it. Uh, th- that is a great commercial. Second only to those Geico commercials about that guy who teaches you to not become your parents. I laugh <laughs> every single time. Hulu, I hope they keep playing those forever. Is that the one where the guy's like, you have too many pillows on your couch? Is that the one? Yeah, I was like, if there's nowhere to sit down, you have too many. I say that to my wife all the time. She <laughs> loves useless pillows. Uh, and hand towels you can't use. <laughs> it's all good. Um, but let's talk about my embarrassing... God, I apologize in advance, everyone. I might be a little fucking drunk, so <laughs> I might have to... Take a couple tries at these things. So, uh, first one, I'm just going to go ahead and down go down the litany of lists. Um, I once drew a uh, cartoon in the school paper um, that got us a health inspection that we did not do well on. Uh, the administration hated me after that. Um, I first day of school after moving to a a new town, first day of high school, freshman year, on the bus. Obviously, one of the more popular girls is sitting in the seat in front of me. Turns around, says, "I'm cute." Ask me if I'd like to be your boyfriend. I'm very nervous. I don't know what to say. I take a few moments, but I don't want to be uncool at a new school with no friends. So I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? Uh, We get off the bus and I was like, what do we do now? And she was like, oh, I'm totally kidding. And then everyone starts laughing at me. That was fun. So that set off high school on a a very good note in a new town that I did not know anybody. Thanks, San Antonio. Go fuck yourself. I've also had... I mean, I can't even count on like two hands how many terrible, embarrassing things that happened to me in high school. High school was an interesting time. You know, they say trial by fire. That shit's trial by inferno. (laughs) I had a teacher refer to me one time as the kid who bounces. Um, because when I walked, I was like so energetic that I kind of bounced with like a, like walked with a bounce in my step. And so, um, evidently teachers knew me as the kid who bounces. Garrett, I do want to know more about your political cartoon and how you got your school in hot water. Was there like roaches in the, uh, the submarine sandwiches or something? So there was always budget issues as we know. Um, I don't know if our listeners know this, but I may have a little bit of a problem with authority. Um, so <laughs> I, I drew a cartoon because our, our previous cartoonist did kind of fun, kind of life in hell type cartoons, you know, just kind of general comedy that has some like good, deeper meanings and stuff like that. I kind of went for more like political as cartoons. Um, we've been asking for like different food options and a few other things for our lunchroom, but instead they spent a fuck ton of money on a, like a condiment bar cart that they could roll out. And it was disgusting. There was always shit all over it. It was not kept clean. The The condiments were mixed and matched. And I had an administrator one time walk and be like, hey, pretty soon we're going to have a second one of these, as if he was proud of it. <laughs> well, I turned that into a political cartoon, and uh, well, it didn't go over well. I don't know a lot of the details, but I do know that the uh, that there was an inspection. I do know that our cafeteria staff was not thrilled with me, and I was asked to get my cartoons approved in advance before I submitted them. So... That was fun. All right. And that's how Garrett got the local school lunch cafeteria on the kitchen cops of the local news. <laughs> School's <laughs> out forever. That does remind me, Garrett. I guess this is embarrassing. I ran for school president in my senior year and got like 30 votes, uh, which was not enough to win <laughs> or to come in second place by like, I don't know, 200 votes. So that 
was embarrassing, but it was still fun to do. Also, I my my the speech I wrote was just all about how bad the school was, uh, and the principal would not let me use it. So I had to go write a whole new speech like the day before I was supposed to give it. <laughs> well, that first speech would have gotten you the win. I'm sure of it. Yeah, I'm sure of it as well. I was speaking truth to power, but then they said no, and I didn't. <laughs> Don't bother going to class, because nobody cares if you cut. And it's not smart to experiment with Ben Gay on your nuts. If you ask her out, she says maybe when she Hey, all you creatures from cyberspace. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the Grave Talk podcast. My name is Mark. Again, joined with Garrett and John. Fellas, we're back on another evening, Saturday. I don't know. We're bouncing all over the place these days. How are we doing tonight? Yeah, I'm doing okay. I'm doing quite all right. I'm not doing as good as Garrett. (laughs) Well, wouldn't be the first time one of us has had a drink during the podcast. Uh, Listeners, you can go listen to The Thing. I wasn't uh, completely sober. Spoilers, secrets told... Call hard copy. Come get me. Well, good. I'm glad everybody's doing okay. What have we been up to since last time? So I finally watched the uh, the Nick Cage movie, Willy's Wonderland. That has been seen. It's interesting. And I don't mean this as an insult, but I mean kind of student filmish in the fact that it seems like a very, very simplistic movie. They actually got a budget. I'm going to spoil some things about it. So if you plan on going to watch it, pause the podcast, go watch it. But uh, Nick Cage is in it. He doesn't say a single word. He's your silent hero. I have to believe that this is exactly what happened to Nick Cage's character from Mandy the moment that story ends and this story begins. Uh, the animatronic stuff is pretty entertaining. The The costumes they have is really good. There are a lot of interesting visual choices in this, like weird screen warps, picking a 16 by 9 aspect ratio, and then like squeezing the edges to kind of stretch things. Um a million Dutch angles. <laughs> if you're a fan of Dutch angles, baby, have I got the movie for you. A lot of like um, lens flares. I mean, visually, it's very entertaining. I would say that I was exceptionally entertained, but the the story and the premise is very simplistic, which is not a terrible thing, but you there's no real stakes in the movie. At, at no point is there suspense of like, oh my God, is is our hero going to get out of this? What are they going to do? You just know what's going to happen. If you're familiar with the video game Five Nights at Freddy's, it could not be more Five Nights at Freddy's. And the, the movie actually is paced kind of like a video game tutorial. Um, but there is a scene where uh, Nick Cage, to incredibly awesome 80s cock rock like montage scene kind of fucks a pinball machine in essence he gets off on it um at least that was my takeaway so um if you're if you've got an hour and 28 minutes and you're just like hey you know what let's just see some crazy shit willie's wonderland is not too bad uh i've i haven't seen anything new i've only rewatched some movies i rewatched uh, freddy versus jason i i still like that movie i mean there's some problematic elements uh but you know what it's still a fun movie to just throw on in the background i rewatched the first it 
That movie still holds up. Uh, I mean, not like it's that old. Hell yes, it does. You know, total banger. You mean the TV or the uh, movie? The first movie? The movie. Sorry, the fr- the first part of the movie, the most recent movie. Okay, cool. Yeah, those movies still hold the hell up. Those are awesome. Yeah, tons of fun with that one. Um, and then I wa- rewatched one called White Noise from 2005. It's got Michael Keaton in it, and it's about, uh, what's it called? Electro- electro voice phenomenon, where like if you record static, you're supposed to be able to hear dead people in it. Oh. Oh, no, I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> Interesting premise. Not a great movie and not even a good movie. Uh, but the premise is cool. And it made me like want to do some more research into EVP and what people I mean, obviously, for someone who loves horror, I'm such a skeptic and I'm sure it is. I mean, I know it's bullshit, but, you know, sometimes you like to bathe in a little bullshit. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that's what I've been up to. John, if you take your old CRT TV and turn it to UH station 69, turn it up and then lower your lights, you can hear a fat man eating a sandwich <laughs> from the other side. You want to know what's funny is like back in the day, channel 69 was a blurred out sex channel. So you could actually like turn down your lights and like hear stuff, <laughs> but you couldn't see anything. Are you telling me that wasn't a sandwich? When you first started saying that, I was like, oh, Mark's going there. All right. Channel 69 to 99. All right. I understand. And then it was like, use sandwich. And I was like, oh, I am grossly <laughs> going the wrong direction with this. There was some weird shit out there. We had one that I could pipe into my TV called Net One. Uh, this would have been like the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, I could, it, the shit that they would play on there would be like Las Vegas uh, stripper competitions, only they were non nude. I don't know, it, but that was, you could just pipe that into your television, no cable, nothing. Uh, when I discovered that, I was very fixated for a little while there, trying to figure out um, who would win that. Yeah, that's it. It was for science. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> that's the same reason I watched uh, Van Halen and Aerosmith videos, to find out the the incredible plot lines. Right, exactly. But John, you said something. You watched Freddy versus Jason, and all I remember of that movie is the horrific rave scene, which always pisses me off. And you say it holds up still, huh? Well... It depends on what you're looking for. If you're looking for a cheesy slasher, you know, versus movie, yeah. I mean, it's like pinnacle early 2000s slasher movie. And I like to pretend that it's self-aware and it's doing it on purpose. I mean, I don't really think it is. But there's some. I think there's some good kills. I mean, the acting is all just flat, flat, flat. But I don't know. I, I like it. I would, I would chalk it into the or categorize it in the guilty pleasure uh, category. Okay. All right. Well, quick question for you guys. Best versus film, Alien versus Predator, Freddy versus Jason, or Kramer versus Kramer? Oh, that's a tough one. That Kramer versus Kramer got brutal. <laughs> yeah. If those are our three choices, then uh, you're leaving out Kong versus Godzilla. Then I'm going with Freddy versus Jason. I'll have to second that. I just wanted to make a Kramer versus Kramer joke. So, you know, <laughs> the, the answers weren't really that important, you guys. Anytime you can get those in. As the years go on, the opportunities diminish. So get them in there while you can. <laughs> I mean, that movie's like 40 years old. I'd be interested to know how much of our audience even knows about that movie and didn't go to like the Seinfeld or something like this. Do people even know about Kramer v. Kramer anymore? Listeners hit us up on our social media. If you're a fan of Kramer versus Kramer (laughs) for all my Kramer heads out there. Well, in the spirit of rewatching things, I have been rewatching season three of Castlevania because they just announced season four. The fourth and final season of the show is coming out May 12th. 
I'm really excited to see where this goes. And the rumor is that once this wraps up, Netflix has been so pleased with the progress and the the viewership of this Castlevania show, we're probably going to get more of it only set in a different time frame. So we could be seeing maybe Simon Belmont or one of the other Belmonts down the road. So I'm really excited to see what they had to offer. It's a great show, and I know I'm biased towards the property, but if you haven't started watching this program, do yourself a favor. It's really good. And even outside of the video game property, it's really well written for an anime. So check it out. I can actually confirm that. I, I'm not a big Castlevania fan, but I am a big like animation fan. And um, I started watching it. At first, it took me a couple episodes to get hooked on it. But the animation was really well done. And then the story actually really got me. So yeah, no, um, I can confirm, Mark. It is, it is some pretty solid stuff. Well, there you have it. Outside source confirmed. Speaking of vampire ladies, yo, do y'all see that new trailer for Resident Evil 8? Yeah. I uh, I played it right before we sat down to record. I played the 30-minute time demo. Uh, I won't spoil it. I know you want to go in blind, so I won't give it too much away, but I played it on my PS4 Pro. That thing looks fantastic even on there, so playing it on a next-gen system, I'm probably going to pick it up on the Series X. Man, it's going to be good. It plays just like 7. Ethan's back, and he's very dumbfounded why this is happening to him a second time. That's all I'll give away. But uh, yeah, so far, so good. No one cares about Ethan. <laughs> is there more content of my giant 10-foot Amazon vampire lady? That's all I need to know. Well, she uh, did not make an appearance in the village portion of the demo. Maybe in the castle. Castle is uh, the next timed one. So keep an eye out on the schedule. Okay, okay. Just wanted to make sure. I don't want to miss any... any uh you know, moments. Yeah, no, you'll be, you'll be safe to experience the big woman. What is she like nine foot or something crazy? Is that what uh, Mrs. Miranda or something? Yeah. She's like nine and a half feet. That's huge. No one's that big. Are they like, what's the tallest person ever? Like seven something. Mark, are you saying something in a video game might be unrealistic? Oh, never. Please keep that heresy off this podcast. I will say this. I love that Capcom has embraced the fact that nerds are just like, yeah, we're all in on giant vampire lady because I think it was like a couple weeks ago, like because at first, you know, they they show the trailer and then everyone was like, yo, we need to know more about this giant busty vampire lady. Um, so they gave out some more information. They gave us her height. They gave us her little backstory. And then out of nowhere, like a couple weeks later, because the Internet's the Internet nerds are nerds. And foot fetishists um, have a nice little niche in the the internet space. They just released a tweet that was like, her shoe size is bigger than Shaq, Shaquille O'Neal's. And that's it. No more information. Just a, hey, heads up. (laughs) I was like, Jesus Christ. I love the fact that Capcom's just kind of like leaned into this like, oh, you guys are really into this chick. Okay, here you go. Well, for reference, Sandra Allen was the tallest woman at seven foot seven inches. So uh, I guess this video game is fake after all. The game about zombies is fake. You heard it here. Werewolves, dude. Right. I, was, I wasn't going to say that. I was hiding it for anybody who hasn't uh, uh, decided to peek into it yet. But it's, yes. it's in the trailers. I'm, I'm sorry, listeners, but it's in the trailers. This Resident Evil is all about like, I'm sure there's a lot more, but there is like full on werewolves for all my werewolf, fi- my werewolf, my wolf. Werewolf? No, werewolf. Where? Say it. Werewolves. Here, try this word. Lichens. Yo, check out Resident Evil <laughs> so today we're going to talk about 1976 Carrie. Uh, this is Stephen King's first adapted novel to the screen, beating uh, what was it, the uh, The Shining by four years, right? So 1976. I guess this would lay the work for everybody in Hollywood deciding that everything Stephen King ever needs to do needs to be on film or TV. And I think they did a really good job. This movie, even though dated and the music is weird at times. 
It's still a very good movie. I don't think it's particularly scary, but it's still a really well-executed film. So just to start off here, guys, what is your experience with this movie? Did you guys check it out when you were a kid? I did see it as a kid, but I saw it on TV. (laughs) So um, the opening scene when we talk about that was not exposed to that. So... (laughs) Um, I remember seeing it when I was about 14, 15 years old, and I think it kind of missed the mark with me. Um, I just, I think I thought it was a little bit too boring at the time. Um, but on a rewatch, it's, it's a much better film than I remember. Yeah. So at the risk of having my horror card yanked, uh, this is the first time I saw this movie. I I think so. Anyway, if I did see it before, I don't remember it. Um, I mean, I, I knew of it, of course, and the famous scenes and all of that, uh, but this was the first time I, that I remember sitting down watching it from end to end. And yeah, it is a good movie. But like Mark said, it's not terribly scary. And I think it is like shows just how far horror has come in the last, uh, what would it be, like 35 years? No, 45 years. And the 70s are a long time ago. Uh, <laughs> in the last 45 years. Because yeah, like. All the horror takes place like in the last 30 minutes of the movie. Yeah. Well, th- this movie is set up to like so many things that we've seen um, after it. Right. I-, I don't know if this is the particularly first one of the nerdy girl getting picked on and then, uh, you know, through some means of the story plot ends up getting revenge or becoming the cool girl or whatever. But this seems like it might have laid some groundwork for like a mean girls or something. You know what I mean? Mm hmm. Agreed. I would love a Tina Fey came out and was like, my inspiration for Mean Girls was Carrie. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I don't, I don't think it'd be that far off, to be honest. Um, I mean, this movie is well regarded. It was super well received when it came out. Tarantino ranks it in its top 10 films of all time. So there's a very good chance that this one was that influential. Now, directly to Mean Girls, maybe not. I'm sure there's a lot of in between there that we probably got there up until that point. But the other thing that is noticeable with this film and a lot of movies from the late seventies and eighties is this whole telekinesis thing. I don't think we do that anymore. Right. I don't really see that crop up in movies. Like it, like people used to legit believe that telekinesis was a thing. Yeah. I'm, I'm like trying to think the last movie I saw where that was like a, in a plot point And I can't think of one like that happened in any recent period of time. That is pretty crazy. Bring back telekinesis. I want some ESP movies. X-Men, Dark Phoenix. Yeah, I mean, there's Jean Grey, but that's like mutants. It's not in the horror space of things. Oh, I don't know if you've seen that movie. It's pretty terrifying. I heard it was really bad, so I skipped it. Yeah, no, it's 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 fucking terrible. I Sorry to all my X-Men fans out there, but as soon as Marvel decides that it's time, then we'll have mutant movies. But until then, wolf. Yeah, I don't know what it is about bad movies also having the audacity of all having to be like two and a half hours long. If you're going to suck, do it shortly. (laughs) (laughs) I said the same thing to my last date. It didn't go well. (laughs) Uh, Just a couple others that came to mind about this like telekinesis tile stuff. You know, uh, the first uh, Puppet Master dealt with the telekinesis club. Uh, we also had Scanners, uh, if you remember that one. That one's great from the uh, early, late late seventies, early eighties. Mm-hmm. I mean, didn't Sleepwalkers from wasn't that another Stephen King one? Didn't that have something to do with the the, the telekinesis aspect, or am I misremembering that? But that had like aliens and shit in it, though. I think it had like the cat aliens or whatever. You're right. That was a sink of shit, just tossed all in, probably with cocaine, <laughs> lots and lots of it. I mean. Every like other X-Files episode, it's something to do with telekinesis. So that was a huge part of the 90s where we were just steeped in it. Yeah, that's true. But anyway, like John said, bring it back. Let's see what we can do today. What else we want to say about this one? Uh, I know we've touched on Stephen King before. We've done it in, in chapter two. 
We brought up a lot of his works and all the stuff that would go on TV, so we don't have to delve too much into that this time around. But I did want to ask you, right now, tell me what is the worst Stephen King adaptation of all time. Go. Oh, fuck. I, I just watched it. It, it was the one with uh, the rats. Cat's Eye? No, Cat's Eye is an anthology. That one's not great either. Night Shift. I think I'm like nine. I'm looking it up right now. I'm 99% sure it's called Night Shift. That one was trash. <laughs> a made-for-TV movie, essentially, but it was released uh, you know, in theaters. I've heard that title. Night Shift? I think it's Vinegar Syndrome just released that on Blu-ray. Are we talking just movies or are we talking TV adaptations as well? Anything. Anything. Oh, man. Uh, I'm going to go with Langoliers because I remember that being a, a big disappointment. That one was pretty bad. It, it, but it started out so interestingly, though. Like, and it wasn't until we got to the second half of that miniseries that it was just like, "Oh, stop it now! This sucks." Uh, but I, I felt like the first thirty minutes had me. You know, I know this has nothing to do with the move we're supposed to be talking about. But John, did you see the new stand yet? The one with Whoopi Goldberg? No. Um, so first, the movie I'm thinking of is called Graveyard Shift. Oh, that's the one I was thinking of too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's such trash. Um, now back to the stand. Interesting that you asked that because I'm just about to finish a reread of the book stand, which is my favorite Stephen King book. I've read it like 10 times. Uh, this is the first time I read it, though, after a real global pandemic. It's a little differently. Um, and then I did plan to watch the show. But the interesting part is in the book, uh, it turns out Stephen King could have never predicted that, I don't know, 30% of the population would just be pro-plague. <laughs> Reality stranger than fiction. Uh, speaking of stranger than fiction, John Travolta is in this fucking film. I did not remember that at all. When he showed up, I was like, what the? F- is this like a Grease crossover? Well, him and PJ Souls. PJ, Ho- PJ Souls is awesome still. I mean, she's... I kind of wish he would have done more. I've seen her in three movies that I love. It was Rock and Roll High School. It was this one, and it was Halloween. And she's always wearing a ball cap. So now I'm really curious. If I go seek out other films, is she always wearing a baseball cap? Well, she did play for the Seattle Mariners. (laughs) That's like her thing. Her agent's like, PJ, we need something, a hook for you. And she's like, ball cap. Get me a ball cap. I'll never take it off. Well, she even wears it to the prom, dude. I'm like, oh, come on. You would not wear the ball cap to prom. But it's the 70s, right? (laughs) You would if you were PJ. This one, directed by infamous director Brian De Palma. This is probably one of his more famous ones, but he's done so many things. Probably most notably, Frankie Goes to Hollywood, Relax, right? That's the best thing he's ever done, is that uh, music video. And I'm sure there's nothing to do with a face with a scar on it, or a, an impossible mission, or... no. I don't know what any of those things are, but we're talking about Frankie Goes to Hollywood being his seminal piece of work here. I, if you're going to watch one De Palma, of course it would be that. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Of course, this guy's famous for Scarface and all kinds of other movies. His career is littered with famous things. The Untouchables with Sean Connery. Fantastic movie. Carlitos Way. Who doesn't like that one? Snake Eyes, The Black Dahlia, and so forth. Uh, still making stuff. So, uh First time on the podcast, you're welcome, Brian De Palma. This will be your big glow up. You'll finally make something that you'll be remembered for. <laughs> this one stars Sissy Spacek as Carrie, Piper Laurie as Margaret Wright, Amy Irving as Sue Snell, William Cat as Tommy Ross, and you may remember William Cat from Roger Man of Action of the Movie House. Uh, we've got John Travolta as Billy Nolan, Nancy Allen as Chris Harrigenson. Betty Buckley as Miss Collins, PJ Souls as Norma. Uh, this one is sitting at a 93% on Rotten Tomatoes with the critics and a 77% with the audience. 
that's uh, 250,000 plus ratings. I guess they just gave up. I'm like, that's enough. <laughs> you get a plus now, Carrie. I got to go with the audience on this one. This one's this one's enjoyable, but it is not 90% enjoyable. I think um, it's just it just hasn't aged well. We it's it is you see this movie and it is filmed uh, in an older style, right? It is not in any way modern. Um, and even like modern slow burns, I think, do a better job of building the tension throughout the film. Like the first, I don't know, 80% of this movie is a pretty standard teenage like coming of age story almost instead of a horror movie i was just trying to see if this was john travolta's first movie it's not but it did beat out saturday night fever and the boy in the plastic bubble so this is pre those things Hmm. wow okay that's fair so this one's shot on a budget of 1.8 million dollars and it made 33.8 million at the box office as say for 70s cash that is quite a blockbuster hit agreed And here's what the back of the Betamax has to say about Carrie. Based on the novel by Stephen King, The Shining, The Stand, Carrie is the story of a young girl with telekinesis, the school wallflower, and brunt of her classmates' jokes. Carrie's revenge is the focus of this tense, stylish horror film. Blood runs rampant in a terrifying homage to the macabre. Homage to the macabre. How do you like that? That's nice to say. Try it. Homage to the macabre. Oh, yeah, it does. It really just (laughs) rolls right out there. Yeah, yeah. This film made Sissy Spacek a star and features John Travolta and Amy Irving in their first important screen roles. Carrie establishes director Brian De Palma as a new creative force in motion picture. Uh, plural. Pictures. 98 minutes is what this one clocks in at, and I think that is an A-OK runtime. Any longer than that might be a bit much. Agreed. Uh, so I have a probably one, maybe two, uh qualms with that back of the box they're both relating to john travolta does it feature him he's in the movie for like seven minutes and is this really his first important role at the time of the release of beta max probably wasn't he in that like a famous tv show before this yeah welcome back cotter Oh my God, Mr. Cotter. But I guess TV doesn't count as an important role. I'm waiting for the list of Cotter episodes to load. I know that show started in 75 and ended in 79. Was he on the whole thing? Oh, he was. Okay. Then uh, Grievance marked. This is why you didn't beat VHS, Betamax. Sloppy with your facts. Screw you, Betamax. <laughs> One, I think my biggest problem with this movie, and it, I feel this way about a lot of high school movies, is the I, I just don't feel like the characters are realistic. Like, the bully characters are just so over-the-top villainous. It's like nobody... I don't know. I obviously didn't go to school in 1976, but I'm going to believe even back then nobody was like this in high school, let alone like the entire high school class, right? Like, like we're like everybody's in on picking on Carrie, the whole entire class. It's like, I just don't buy that. Yeah. There was different groups that picked on different people. I mean, it wasn't like a unified school thing. Like they didn't have a pep rally just to pick on one person. Right. And like not a single human being would be like, yo, this is fucked up. I'm uh, not going to scream at this girl who's panicking. 
But that's a great point because there's that point, that point where the teacher, the gym teacher goes to the principal and she's like, they were just picking on her so much. I wanted to grab her and shake her and yell at her. And I was like, whoa, calm the fuck down. <laughs> like You're an educator. You need to calm that back. Right. There is a lot of behavior put forth by Mrs. Collins in this that I was like, man, if only we could do that today, like slap a student right the fuck in the face when they're mouthing off and being an asshole. I'd be like, that would solve so many problems. It, it was crazy what they were doing in this movie. I was into the gym teacher. She was all like, fuck you. And I was like, yeah, you tell them. And then she's like, now, of course, there's that scene where she's wearing those like gym shorts, which is Mwah. thank you movie. Um, but then like, she's just like, no, fuck them. And then she like grills those kids. Like if you start fucking with her, like I was like, this chick is a loose cannon. I'm into it. It was so crazy. Like she was such a fun character. But yeah, when she acted like she wanted to beat the hell out of Carrie too, I was like, yo, wait a minute. Are the teachers in on picking on her too? Like it seemed like the entire school to your point was like out to get her. Like, did, did empathy not exist in the 70s? Is that like a thing? Was no other single human being like, wow, this is fucked up. Well, not until Ronald Reagan. No. <laughs> you know, the more of these style movies that we see, the more I might be convinced that it was just that way. I mean, look at, for, at uh, Marty and Slaughter High. That was a whole big April Fool's joke gone wrong where they fucking burn his face off with chemistry lab uh, uh, supplies. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, and there's got to be a kernel of truth in there because people went to watch these movies at the time. So, like, I mean... Obviously, everything's turned up to 11 because it's a movie, but there must be some relatable part of it or audiences back then would have been like, this is bullshit, right? So, man, what a terrible time. Well, that's the thing, too. There, to your point, John, is that there's not really a relatable character in this movie until the very end. And that character gets knocked out with a bucket. <laughs> um, like, like. I mean, through the entire movie, everyone's just like picking on her. And then like she goes home and I expected her to get like sympathy from her parents of like, hey, I'm sorry you had a rough day at school. Oh, hell no. We get crazy religious mom, which I was not expecting because I did not remember that at all. And I was like, oh, no, this is not going to go well for her. <laughs> I was like, if she does not die by the end of this movie, she's not going to be a well-adjusted human being. Was I the only one watching this that thought Tommy might be a devilish asshole this whole time through the whole movie? Like, I expected him to turn on her at some point, along with the girl that set him up to go on the date. Was it Amy Irving? Uh, Sue Snell? Or, or, yeah, Sue's character? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I at first I didn't know like is he should we talk about the plot because we're getting way to the end. But my question is, was he in on it? Did he know? Did Tommy know that that bucket was going to happen, or maybe not the bucket, but know that this was all going to be some sort of a prank? No. So he really was going out with Carrie because he thought it was a nice thing to do. Him, him, and Sue legitimately were not. I don't think they were like necessarily like, oh, we're going to throw her a bone, but they were like, look, we need to help Carrie like have an experience that's not detrimental to her high school thing. I mean, it was weird because the first time they broach it, the the high school teacher is like grilling him like, why are you taking her to the prom? Who, what's your what's your motive? Who do you work for? You know, like all this crazy stuff. And then like, and he's like trying to hold back a laugh. And I was like, whoa, he might be in on this. And then like, and then you come to find out through Sue's explanation, I was still skeptical. But the moment he said that thing of like, you liked my poem, even though I didn't write it, I knew at that point he was legit. Because it was something about that delivery and something about when he told her that, that just really kind of made me like, oh, and then when the the actual incident happens, which we'll talk about, you can tell he's 100% shocked that it's going down. So no, I don't believe he was in on that at all. I believe him and Sue were actually trying to be somewhat decent human beings because they felt bad for what had happened. But 
the movie makes that very questionable at times. John, have you read the book at all? No, I mean, I actually wanted to before this podcast, but then I read The Stand instead because I make good decisions. Um, <laughs> so I've never read the book. Uh, from what I've read, though, the movie doesn't stray particularly far from the book. Okay, because I feel like there could have been any opportunity, and maybe they just did that for the for the reason of making the viewer question, Tommy, is at any point they could have said, yeah, he's in on it, and it wouldn't have been surprising in the least. Mm-hmm. I think the most surprising part that he was actually not in on it at the end. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Again, it can go either way. Depending on your feelings during the movie, you could, you could have felt either way, and it would not have surprised either decision. Well, let's just set this up a tiny bit. Uh, we've, we've hopped around a little bit, but just to kind of lay it out there, Carrie White is this awkward girl to school, and it, when she's at home, she's getting beaten into the uh, submission by her mother's religious beliefs and her prayers. Everything's a sin to her. There's nothing that isn't a sin, and specifically becoming a woman and uh, having intercourse is one of the worst sins that you could commit as, as a, a, a female. It came across as just being a woman was being a sin. I was like, God damn, lady, take it back a notch. Yeah, her mom's beliefs were so much, like, so more, like, Garen hit a nail on the head. Women were just inherently evil, uh, be, you know, that there's no way to not be a woman and sin. She goes home after that traumatic event. Like she gets in trouble for getting her first period uh, because she thinks because her mom's like, well, you got it because you're a sinner uh, and makes her go pray in the closet. Yeah. And just to wind that back a tad. So what is going on is we're watching a school volleyball team, I believe. And um, I really question Carrie's inclusion on this team because when the ball finally comes in her direction, she acts like she's never touched a volleyball in her life to the point where she swats it away like it's going to just take her arm off or something like get away. Oh, I think it was just gym class. I don't think it was a volleyball team. Uh, I think it was just regular gym class and they didn't let you walk the track back then. Yeah, it was just gym class. It could have been PE, but man, it sure seemed like they were taking that loss way more seriously than just a standard PE scrimmage, you know? Well, it was a very competitive time. It was the 70s, Mark. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a class because when they meet with the teacher, she's like, oh, so I'm excusing you for gym for a week. You should take homeroom or whatever or study hall instead. So I appreciate how you guys have like glossed over the the one fact that shocked me to my core because I again I saw this movie on television when I first saw it. Well, we're, we're we haven't got there yet. <laughs> they lose the game first and then they go to the showers. Is that where you're getting? Yeah, I was not. <laughs> want to make sure we're going to skip the most egregious and also pretty awesome scene of the film. Well, we do need to point out it's another instance of a Hollywood movie showing us naked high schoolers. Luckily, none of the actors are, but I don't know. They sure are okay with this stuff. Yeah, this goes up there with Starship Troopers is like most unnecessary shower scene. Uh, You just, they must have been like a quota for a nudity that the that the Palma had a hit, and he just got it all out of the way in the first like five minutes of the movie. But they had tits throughout the entire film, like tits a popping in this film, man. <laughs> it's like everywhere. Like my favorite part of the opening scene is after we get this uh, this volleyball scene. Um, we get this like the girls in the locker room being um, obviously what a a man considers what happens in a woman's locker room. Um, scene of slow motion steamy locker room where girls are running around naked popping each other with towels giggling huddled up together i mean it it's completely unbelievable but i'm talking naked women everywhere full-on bush i mean i was very shocked to see director of photography mario tosi's name right next to a giant (laughs) 
fucking hairy vagina, like literally the size of his name next to it on screen. I was like, well, there's a choice. <laughs> I was like, good God, man. But yeah, you know, it's it's graphic out the gate. And the music. The music is just so comfortably 70s as you just slowly stroll through this locker room with the credits and you're like, oh, hi, I didn't see you there, viewer. <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> Yeah, do you think Mario picked to have his name there? He's like, put me next to the bush. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't know, but like, I notice this girl runs around the locker and she just drops her towel and it's just like, I'm like, we've got bush. We've got bush. And then right there, director of photography, Mario Tosi. I was like, bold choice, my friend. <laughs> bold choice. It's the 70s. I mean, that's that's just how movies were back then, strangely enough. But then we, we end up following the camera into the shower where Carrie is showering by herself and, and she gets her first period in the shower. It's a stretch to call what Carrie was doing showering. It was weird. Well, it wasn't weird. It was hot. <laughs> but it was definitely awkward for a school shower. Because one thing I never did when I showered after PE was I never like just spent the time to fondle myself and just gently <laughs> rub my pecs and my arms and be like, good God, Gary, you've got it going on. Mm, get clean, sir. Get clean. When I was in physical ed, I didn't even shower. I just went to first period smelling like asshole. That's what Axe <laughs> like, was invented for, okay? Right. And I definitely wouldn't strip naked in front of other dudes. That's how you get made fun of and pick on like oh look at you you could stand to lose a few pounds mark why don't you why don't you go do some more of them uh, sit-ups buddy <laughs> let's let's not erase the fact that the one time i did shower i did get made fun of and that's the last time i showered after pe you didn't sensually rub your body while you were quote-unquote showering <laughs> no no i'm just saying i i thought you were supposed to shower after pe so i did one time and guess what you no one else does in pe showers um, the only people who do were dudes who had girlfriends and were very confident of their bodies. The rest of us made poor decisions and then got made fun of for the next two to three years. The rest of us were still in physical ed when the rest of the jocks were in athletics class. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, so Carrie has her period in the shower after she, um, you know, caresses herself weirdly. Um, and then she freaks out. Man, she loses her shit. And then everyone just starts railing on her. Because she doesn't know what it is. She asks, am I dying? So I don't I don't think she was panicked because it was her first period. I think it was because she had no idea, which I totally get if I didn't know what was happening and blood just started pouring out of my genitals. I would also freak out. So I can empathize with Carrie. It just seems really late in the season, if you will, for that to happen for the first time. I think it varies. I, I don't think that's necessary. I mean, you're like 13 or you're like 14, 15 when you. Yeah, it comes up in in a later scene. The principal's like, yeah, it's a little late for that. Right. And the gym teacher is like, yeah, I had mine when I was nine or whatever. Um, so they like mention it. But yeah, they don't really explain it or anything. But maybe it's got something to do with her powers. Mm, a side effect of the telekinesis. Thrill as three grown men try to figure out what a period date is. <laughs> <laughs> I know everything there is to know. Come to me for all your womenly needs. Don't. I don't know shit. <laughs> we go now live to Mark's wife. Does he know shit? <laughs> so they treat her like she is a dog, the worst ever, laughing at her. But she's also running at them, screamingly uh, with bloody hands, grabbing their clothing. And they're just like, ha, 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 you're the dumbest ever. I would have been, I would have been terrified. 
I don't know about you, but if some person in school ran it with at me screaming naked with bloody hands, I would be freaked out, not laughing and ridiculing. Yes, I understand being freaked out. But then once she goes back in the shower, they open up like I guess where they, you know, they put the uh, they keep their tampons and they just grab handfuls and start throwing them at her. And they all get around her in the shower and like chant at her. I would not have taken part in that. They were chanting something and I was like, one of us, one of us, one of us. Yeah. So everybody on this volleyball physical ed team or, you know, they're all pieces of shit for the most part. I don't think there was one that did at this point stood by and said, no, we shouldn't do this. I think one of them, Sue Snell in particular, little little ways down the road, she'll turn uh, a new leaf, but yeah, all of them. We're talking like 20 girls probably, right? At least. It's all throwing tampons at her in the shower. So Miss Collins comes in and she breaks it up and tells everybody, to like, you're going to have to do a bunch of sit-ups and push-ups and bullshit in the morning. And she takes Carrie to the principal's office and they're like, all right, you're going to go home for a week and don't worry about gym class. Everybody in this school is some sort of degenerate human. The principal can't fucking get her name right. Her name is Carrie. He calls her like Kathy katie fuck anything but carrie it's like dude what the fuck you can't remember someone's name not since garrett on the grave talk podcast has someone messed up a name so bad that's all i'm saying <laughs> <laughs> you can't remember a name for 30 seconds the gym teacher's like her name's carrie all right calling kathy like, okay, dude, you need to go in for some kind of brain scan because that's not normal behavior. Yeah, rapid succession failure. That's this guy's like uh, trick, his stupid human trick. So she goes home and, and reveals what's happened to her, to her mother. And we are introduced to this other side of her life. And you're starting to realize, oh, yeah, this is some real damaging stuff to uh, Carrie's psyche. Her mother has got some damage, too. And you come to find out later on that she was abused. And uh, gave birth to Carrie, and she carries around this guilt with her uh, for however Carrie's old now, she's 16 to 18 at this point. And uh, she's done everything in her power to try to uh, wash away the sin with prayer, scripture, and just making Carrie go stay in this tiny closet to re- uh, repent her sins. And it looks like the most miserable time ever. You know, as somebody who grew up religious, this is to the umpteenth degree extreme. Um, I can't imagine having to live that way. And I wonder if, do you think that this bore fruit to Carrie's telekinesis ability somehow, or did was she like born with it? Number one, if you ever want to make your crucifix of Jesus creepier, paint open eyes on him with huge anime pupils. <laughs> Always fucking weird. Never do this, people. If you're making a movie or you're drawing a picture, keep the fucking pupils on a crucified Jesus to a minimum. You do not want him looking like a kawaii, like a whole type character. So um, first mistake. And I think the eyes were glowing in the dark also on top of that. They were definitely iridescent. It was like so weird. It reminded me of that scene in um, Exorcist 2 or Exorcist 3 when the the Jesus statue like looks at you and like smiles like the Joker. You're like, what the fuck? So you mentioned like, did this give her telekinesis powers? Okay, 
I, so you said the mom was abused because the backstory she tells at the end makes it sound like she had a boyfriend or a husband and they or a boyfriend and they kind of like were just playing it cool. But eventually he just slipped it in and got her pregnant. Is that did I read that wrong? He, he was forceful after some whiskey drinks and she didn't want it that way. So he took a whiskey drink. He took a vodka drink. He took a whiskey drink. He took a vodka drink. And then she got knocked down and didn't get back up again. Exactly. Yeah. And then he pissed the night away. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Um, sorry. I did not know it was a be abuse situation. I thought it was more just like, oh, we had sex before marriage. And I was like, yo, calm down, woman. It was the 70s. Now her her trauma goes deeper than that. Right. About because she also goes on about how she enjoyed it, um, which problematic, I guess. If it I didn't pick up on the rape part either, but uh she was talking about how much she enjoyed it and then she felt super guilty about that. And I think that like Maybe that, that I think that triggered her super, uh, super religious ways. See, I thought she was religious beforehand and she was just living a really pious lifestyle. And then he got drunk and was like, fuck it, let's just go for it. And she was like, oh, I totally was into it, um, but I shouldn't have been because the Lord tells me not to be. And then she got all like fucking bougie about it. I don't know. I guess I, I read that situation differently. Right. You got to understand that this woman is operating on a level of of religious and religiousness that most people do not. Right. So what she's not like, Hey, just go to church on Sundays and we call it cool. You know what I mean? Or, Hey, we go on Easter Sunday and that's our one time a year. No, this woman is devout. She's got deep convictions and she's saying things in the terms of like, I was backsliding and that's really common things for people at church to say whenever they go out and sin and like, I've been backsliding and I got to repent and I got to, you know, say, I'm sorry and all this other stuff. That stuff can be so damaging to oneself when you are always fighting with this need to also live a normal life, because there's so many things that we as humans do that is considered a sin. It can be a really conflicting place to find yourself when you're trying to do what's good, but you also like, oh man, my friends are going out for the Friday night to drink beers and whatever. That's that, why, why wouldn't I want to do that? And then you feel guilty about it on a Sunday and you're like, I'm sorry I had those 13 Bud Lights, God. <laughs> you know, obviously that's just my stupidness of, of that. It's not uh, what she's been going through. But if you amplify something like that to degree of 20, you're probably in the ballpark where this lady lost her mind and took it out on her daughter throughout her development. Well, she had a life-size painting of the Last Supper next to their fucking dinner table. I was like, now this is a little on the nose, lady. I was like, you need to pull it back a tad. But no, I mean, and that's and that's one of the things that kind of really made me more uncomfortable in this film is that like her refuge, her home, the place away from high school where things are terrible is this nightmare lifestyle which then contributes to her being weird at school. It's like this perpetual cycle of like, oh my God, she's never going to get out of this until she like escapes one of these two situations, which seemed kind of hopeless about halfway through the film. Um, but man, that mom, fucking crazy, like fully indoctrinating Carrie. And, but okay, anyway, that totally di divulged from my question of, did she, was she, did she get the telekinesis from Jesus? Did she get the telekinesis from a demon? Was she actually born a demon child because she was born out of wedlock? Or did she have like fucking mutant X-Men powers that just came about when she became, you know, mutants do develop their, uh, their mutant abilities about the time of puberty. That's when they do occur. So is this a proto X-Men movie? I think in the Stephen King verse, Carrie would have what we now call the shine. I think this would be like in his fictional universe. I think Carrie is, uh, has, you know, the shining. That's her, that's what this really is. Uh, it just wasn't called that yet. Cause I don't think he created that whole 
Castle Rock metaverse uh, thing yet. Okay, fair enough. It would be interesting to know what people in the 70s thought because there's plenty of ways to interpret it. It's like, yep, she had the devil in her. You know, let's get a devout Christian, go watch Carrie and be like, well, she shouldn't have sinned as much as she did and then that wouldn't have happened and she wouldn't have got drugged down to hell like that. You know, so I think it's there. It's interpretive. Um, I, I don't think she developed the telekinesis powers by being stuck in a closet, though. I would suspect, and this is my opinion, obviously, that she had it... Uh, an innate ability that she was born with. And maybe there's more info in the carry Two, the rage or whatever it is from 1999. I don't know. Anybody see that one? There was a sequel. Yes. I watched it for this podcast. What a movie that was. Not good. Let me ask you real quick, John, does it, does it open up with a scene of girls in a shower, butt ass naked running around and giggling? I'm, Pretty sure there's no nudity in Carrie 2. I can't remember. I mean, I like immediately wanted to push it. It is, wow, talk about a movie that like really encapsulated the late 90s. Uh, Oh, though, Mark, you might like this. uh, Lots of ska in the soundtrack of that movie. Hey, it's a winner. (laughs) (laughs) Also not pictured in Carrie 2, Carrie. (laughs) No, the the connection (laughs) to Carrie, the, the OG Carrie, is tenuous at best spoiler for uh, the seven people who want to see Carrie to the rage. Good luck finding it. Carrie in uh, fuck. I already forgot her name, but the main character in Carrie Two, Rachel share the same dad. And so that's how they both got uh, telekinesis powers. And I believe in Carrie Two, they specifically do call it the shine. Oh, okay. Well then that answers it right there. Then that tells us exactly. It's either uh, it's got to be passed down by the, the dad. Or the or some sort of genetic was her dad Jack Torrance from The Shining who had an affair on what's her face from Rocky. Yo, this shit's all connected. We're getting deep in here. Pepe Silvia, all right. The mail doesn't stop. That would be amazing, but they uh the they the dad's name is Ralph White. Ah, boo! You blew it, Stephen King. <laughs> I'm doing your job for you, man. Oh, Stephen King had nothing to do with Carrie too. Uh, Carrie 2 was written by Raphael Moriu, uh, who is known for writing, oh, Hackers. He wrote Hackers (laughs) and the Rage (laughs) Carrie 2. I love this so much. This just keeps getting better and better. (laughs) I did not know that. That's all he's ever written. That's crazy. That just blew my mind. Well, to pull us back into this movie. Yeah, as far as the movie goes, so after the, the, um, the gym teacher has sent Carrie home, uh, they offer to call her a cab. She goes home. She has a crazy situation with her mom. We realize that that's all f- sorts of fucked up. We cut now to the next day where the gym teacher is going to put the class of girls, the, the gym class of girls through the business. They're gonna, She's going to make them do all sorts of exercises, wear their asses out as punishment for picking on Carrie. She kind of has a little monologue of like, do you guys understand like the sheer like emotional damage this is doing to her? I don't think any of you have any idea of just how nasty what you did really was. But the office has decided you're to have one week's detention. Still, there's one little catch. It's to be my detention. That's 50 minutes every day, starting today, on the athletic field. Get the picture? I'm not coming. That's up to you, Chris. That's up to all of you. Punishment for skipping detention is three days suspension and refusal of your prom tickets. And this is where Sue um, 
kind of has a change of heart. This is where she kind of is like, oh, yeah, maybe we are fucking assholes. Um, and I think that's what starts the whole situation with Tommy and Sue trying to do something nice for Carrie. And it seems like all these like uh, sit-ups and push-ups and running back and forth, it in the reverse, turns Chris into this giant bitch that she's like, I am going to ruin Carrie no matter what. And it's just like, why? Why? What? What are you gaining from this? Because, so her quote-unquote motivation is, so they get this week-long detention, which is essentially boot camp, and if they don't go, they're suspended for three days, but more importantly, they're banned from the prom. Chris uh, is so pissed off that she's punished for, like, that the school has the audacity for punishing her for psychologically tormenting another human being, storms off, and then she's like, all right, if I can't go to the prom, we're going to ruin it for Carrie. Uh, we're going to get all this blood and then we're going to rig the vote, which was one of the best scenes in this movie where that guy uh, wants to join the prom committee or whatever. And he's talking to the, the chairperson. Well, you're a little you're, late, Freddie. I could have used you a week ago on the decorating committee. No, no, I'm not late, Ernest. I'm right on time, pal. You know, uh, I want to collect the ballots, you know, for the king and queen and the voting and, uh, you know. Uh, think we can arrange that, huh? Yeah, okay. Can you be here at uh, 6.30? No, no, can't be here at 6.30. I'll be here at 8. How's 8? It's fine with me. Yeah, that'll do. Okay. Okay, well, we'll see you then. Yeah, see you, Freddie. Take it easy. <laughs> it was just a, a really, really great and funny scene. But Chris's plan is so, it's so, uh, this whole plan hinges on Tommy asking her to the prom and Carrie actually going in the first place, which kept leading me back to think that Sue and Tommy were in on it. You know what I mean? Like, if that fails, this whole thing is over. Agreed. Let's get to what prompts that because I actually have something to say and have some questions about that scene. So as you said, there is this like long, weird masturbatory scene where uh, the gym teacher is like one, two, one, two. And we see all these like definitely not college or high school age girls like doing weird exercises in um, 70s gym shorts. Again, mwah. Mario Tosi, you director of photography, you you mad genius. Every one of those actors was in their mid to late 20s. Uh, some of them were like knocking on 30s door. So thank God. I mean, the teacher and the students were the same age, essentially. Like when they, when they were like, whenever they would stand next to one another, I'd be like, you're ruining the illusion. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so, um, but no, there's a scene after that. This is where we get introduced to John Travolta because as you mentioned, Chris storms off of uh, gym class and be before she leaves, she's like, Fuck you to the gym teacher. Gym teacher slaps the shit out of her. And she's like, you can't touch me. And she's like, bring it, bitch. And I'm like, yo, cat fight. I was so excited. We were about to get ladies fight in like gym shorts. And that didn't happen. She leaves. And this is where she hatches the plot where she wants to ruin prom or, or get back at Carrie White. So um, this is where we're introduced to John Travolta. They're in a, a car. They're driving down the street. A car pulls up next to him. He's like, hey, what's up, buddy? They're like, hey, what's up, dude? He's like, throw me a beer. They just throw him a beer. It was simpler times back then. Um, so he's now drinking a beer. Uh, the cops come up next to him, freaks him out. She calls him a stupid shit. He loses his mind and basically like almost assaults her. She's into it, which was very problematic. They finally pull up to wherever the hell they are. And she then begins to go down on him because she's going to ask him a favor. Basically, she wants... I thought she wanted him to ask Carrie out, but did you guys notice that she's like saying the word Billy 
like she's supposed to be going down on him. And she's just saying the word Billy like 900 times. Like, first off, you cannot talk with your mouth full. So one of, one of two things is not adding up here. Yeah, I did notice. I was like, the logistics of this scene don't add up. Uh, that was uh, that did jump out to me as well. And to be fair, it's because John Travolta's face is acting like he's getting the best blowjob he's ever had in his life. So when you hear her saying Billy nonstop, and then like his face is reacting the way it is. I was like, she's just talking to his dick. <laughs> and if that's what's doing it for him, you fucking weirdo, I am in for it. What are you at, John Travolta? Um, but it was just so awkward because she's just talking to it and he's just like, uh, and I was like, whoa, 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 hold up. Yeah, that was his instruction to her. He's like, use my dick like a microphone. He's like, got it, boss. <laughs> talking to the mic. Her nickname was the dick whisperer. So, you know. <laughs> uh, I mean, and in John Travolta's defense, as we just learned, this was his first important role. So he's just putting his all into it. I get it. Oh, he was putting his all into it because he's acting like it's the 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 greatest oral sex anyone in history has ever had. <laughs> Look, I can't comment on what's going on there because, again, there's a lot of logistical issues. But as she's doing that, she goes, I really hate Carrie White. And he goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. And like he really yeah. does this like double take. And I'm like, this is the most awkward oral sex scene I've ever seen in film. And I've seen Reanimator. So it was definitely fucking weird as hell. Right. And juxtaposed to this whole scene, we've got Tommy and Sue almost doing the exact opposite, but where Sue's like, Can you please ask her to prom? I, uh, you know, I, I'm starting to feel a little guilty thanks to uh, Mrs. Uh, Collins's, Mrs. I just married her that way, Miss Collins's class at PE. And then Tommy, obviously, at first, he's like, What? I don't want to do that. And can we just pause for a moment and just uh, kind of touch on how nice William Katz. Herculean hair is in this movie. I was like, good Lord, there was some Goldilocks. Astonishing. <laughs> I was thinking Samson. I was thinking more <laughs> Samson style, like, you know, locks of hair. Yeah. So Tommy agrees. Uh, you know what? I'll, I'll take her to the dance. And he confronts Carrie's like in the library of, of, of all places, right? He's like, hey, Carrie, what you doing? What you reading? And she, at the meantime, she's learning more about all this telekinesis business because she flipped over a cigarette tray and she's slammed a couple doors at her house and her mom is starting to get wise a little bit. So she's like, I'm going to look into this. And she's using the old card catalog that only people our age will remember to look up books. And I was like, oh, man, that takes me back. She was using the card catalog to look up the Bible. <laughs> right. Yeah. The card catalog dates that scene, but from a cinematic point of view, the, it's the old reading the definite reading the book that you're looking at aloud in a library that was like, man, what is Talk about an exposition dub. She's like, telekinesis, the power to move things with your mind. <laughs> While they're also showing the text on the screen, it's like, man, people back then must have really not known what telekinesis was. Yeah. Well, I mean, this scene soon to be replaced by every Google image search in movies to come uh, afterwards, right? So, I mean, yeah, you just uh, inter interplace each scene. They're, they serve the same purpose. I have such a soft spot for when movies do that shit where they show like text and it's like, 54 dead in massive fire. And you're like looking at the headline on the piece of paper. I'm just like, I love that so much because it, it really just is like the audience needs to have this hammered into their fucking heads. <laughs> yeah. And it does make you feel a little more real when you're looking at a printed paper. You're like, oh, well, somebody over there at the Gazette down at the uh, Ontario News put that out. So, you know, it's true. Yeah. Well, what I like about it being books is like... I don't I every time I see people search on the internet I like to look what fake search engine they're using and it just takes me out of the movie cuz they're using like Fugle or whatever 
It's like like books, you know, a library scene, they all look the same. You don't have to worry about copyright. But man, those search engine ones are tough for me. Yeah, because that Dewey Decimal was onto something. That motherfucker knew what was up. <laughs> I don't I believe Dewey was his name. I don't think he was called Mr. Dewey Decimal. <laughs> Dewey Decimal the third. <laughs> That's Joe Dewey Decimal to you. So Tommy confronts her in the library. He's like, hey, uh, you want to go to prom? And she's like, what? No, what? You're don't be stupid. And he's like, no, no, for real. She's like, what? Why? And then he's just like, because I want to. And then she like runs away. So in pursuit later on that day, uh, Tommy shows up to the front of her house, knocking on the door. He's like, Hey, Carrie, come on out. She's like, go away. Mom will hear you. He's like, I'm not leaving until you say yes. And it's like, all right, did that seems like a bit more effort than old Tommy would have actually put into this. You know what I mean? Like this felt a little forced. I feel like at some point he would just gone back to like, she ain't going to go guys. Sorry. That's the end of the movie. Then it's just uh, Tommy and Sue winning the uh, prom king and queen later on. So I don't know. That was like my one little hang up. I don't think he would have been as pushy to get her to go with him. Well, maybe. All right. Here we here comes some headcanon. He is. Okay. Hold on. I'm sorry. You said headcanon and all I could see was stupid John Travolta's face in the car getting head. It's just like, oh, no, <laughs> this is not something I need to equate with that phrase ever again. No, definitely not. All right, so we know that he is very popular. He's got uh, incredible hair. So I don't think he was prepared for Kara to say no. And that hurt his ego. And once his ego was hurt... Oh, sort of became a challenge, is it? Exactly. Once his ego was hurt, he uh, kind of got invested into it. This, Because imagine going back to school and having to tell his friends that Mr. Popular got rejected by Carrie. That would not do well for his social standing. Would he say anything, though, at all, though? That's the question. Well, they would know, right? Sue would know. He would know, most of all. When he's laying in bed at night, staring at the ceiling, because he can't sleep, he would think back, I got rejected in a library by Carrie. If it were come to light, he would lose his king of the prom stature. Right. I can see. His hair would just fall off. (laughs) (laughs) So she reluctantly agrees to go to get him off the doorstep, right? Get out of my porch. Mom's going to start giving me another 180 Hail Marys if you don't leave. So Carrie's off telling mom's like, oh, hey, you know, they're having dinner. He's like, I've got a date for the prom. And mom flips the fuck out. She's like, you're not going to that. That's for sinning. Of course, you just bled. And now they're out to get you. They smell you. They smell your sin, right? So now... She, they're fighting again and Carrie does some telekinesis business and pushes like like breaks a plate, right? Is that what goes on at the dinner table? Guys, can I ask you a quick question here real quick, though? Because Carrie's mom says they smell you. It's just like boys or men to smell it and want to know what that smell is, to devour it, to understand it. Have you guys ever been like, you know what? Let me take a good whiff of period blood. Find out what makes that up. Because that was the weirdest fucking thing she said the whole movie to me. Uh, That's because Carrie's mom is disturbed. Everything she says is gibberish nonsense. And that conversation that she has with Carrie was so sad because Carrie's like, Mom, I'm weird and I don't want to be weird. Can I just not be weird for like one night? And her mom's like, "Uh, that's the devil talking. (laughs) So why don't you- Weird (laughs) runs in the white blood. You will continue to be weird, young lady. Yeah. Uh, So you just, man, you just really felt for Carrie. Yeah, she so they have this fight, and I think isn't this where she storms upstairs and she breaks her her mirror? Oh, yeah, that's what. Yeah, she shatters her mirror, and her mom comes up and is like, "What was that noise?" And Carrie, man, it's total straight face because now she has a devil in her. What noise? But her her mirror is just like in pieces over there. Her mom's like, "Oh, I guess it's nothing," and walks away. 
That was a weird scene. Well, she's losing uh, she's losing the grip, right? Like her her strong religious uh, iron grip is has been loosened by this evil, if you will. You know that? Yeah, that's true. And I wonder if this is the first time Carrie lied to her mom because it didn't feel like they had a very lie relationship before now. But this time, she just looked her right in the eye. Bald face lie. Well, you got to think that Carrie's like she said at the dinner table, she doesn't want to be weird anymore. This is her opportunity, probably the first yeah, out of her entire school career to do something normal and see what it's like to be with like one of the other kids. So she's going for it, man. She doesn't care anymore. It doesn't matter. Mom be damned. Jesus, I'm sorry. You're going to take a back seat to this one. Going to prom. I'm even going to make my own dress. All right. <laughs> All right. I don't know. I, I find it hard to believe that she's a senior in high school and hasn't at least dabbled in masturbation at least once. I mean, I definitely believe that. That would not have come up in that uh, situation there, I don't think. Plus, according to Wikipedia, she's 16. So what is she's not a senior. She'd be like a sophomore. 16? Yeah, that's like a sophomore. Wait, why'd she go to fucking senior prom then? Well, maybe Tommy's the senior. Yeah, that's got to be it. Actually, you know what? That's I, I actually went to uh, a girl I was seeing took me to her senior prom when I was a sophomore. So never mind. I take it back. There is empirical evidence to say this shit happens. Never mind. <laughs> there we go. Miss Collins calls uh, Sue and um, Tommy hair <laughs> hair. Hercules <laughs> Samson, come on in. Sit down, beautiful man. I want to talk to you, Mr. Cat. <laughs> Did you just say, sit down, beautiful man? I want to talk to you. <laughs> yeah. And the, the, the teacher, you know, she's like feeling a little protective about Carrie, which I totally get. She's like, why are you doing this to Carrie? Are you going to fuck with her? Because if you do, that'd be really fucked up. And they're like, this is all on the up and up. I felt bad. We're doing a nice thing. We're not trying to fuck with her. And you can't tell me who to go to prom with. And then she's like, all right, well, I've got my eyes on you, which is in, in an earlier, also another kind of nice scene that we, we skipped over is Carrie goes to Miss Collins and is like, hey, Tommy asked me to the prom, but, you know, I think it's all bullshit. And she tells Carrie, like, no, maybe it is a, a nice thing. You know, maybe you're you're a good looking girl. Go for it. And then right after that, she runs to Sue and Tommy and is like, are you fucking with her? So she's trying to like really build up Carrie's self-esteem. I respect that. Good teacher, Miss Collins. Yeah, she sees the she sees the uh, the setbacks that Carrie's dealing with, and she wants to like ensure that she has a chance to kind of come and do like her own with these with this new lifestyle, which is I guess being in public. <laughs> um, which raises the question: Did Carrie go to middle school? Because middle school is even worse than oh, high school, in my opinion. Agreed. Um, I don't know about y'all, but I got locked out of the locker room once naked in middle school. So, <laughs> I mean, the point is, she should have known that people are complete assholes by then. I'm not blaming Carrie I'm, by any means. I'm not trying to blame Carrie. But at some point, these questions should have come up. Like, And if not her mom, she should have gone to somebody else, a uh, guidance counselor or a friend or... Um, I don't know, a 1-800 number or something, anything to be like, I got a question. Well, she she did actually question it, though, right? When it, when he first asked her, she thought it was a prank and a joke. But through his persistence and then now Miss Collins reaffirming that to her, at some point she decided maybe I'm going to go along with this, you know? Yeah. Okay, fair point, fair point. In the meantime, Chris and her band of evildoers are going to go into a slaughterhouse and and knock a pig out and take the blood and then put that up which seems like days in advance of the prom i don't know i don't know if there's a time frame on that but i thought that blood would be nice and thick and congealed and would not have been as runny 
is uh, prom night. But uh, uh, I believe the word you're looking for, Mark, is coagulated. I'll get that one of these times. <laughs> <laughs> I agree, Mark. I think the more likely outcome of this would have been a bowl filled of like jello blood that doesn't pour, but just sort of thunks to the ground. Well, Garrett, when you look up the word congeal, it means to solidify or coagulate. So I think I could use my word. Just saying. I, hey, you know what, man? Let's 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 finally like West Coast, East Coast rappers like unite the two. <laughs> let's make peace. Let's finally have congealing coagulated be one. Let's call it congeliated. Ladies and gentlemen, we did it. New word. You're welcome, Webster. Mission accomplished. <laughs> Are we ready for prom? Let's do it. Did you guys put on your tuxes? There were uh, more than $10 in a t-shirt and that whole scene where the... This must have started that trend of movies having like the trying on different shit scene. I can't imagine it happened much earlier than this, but we'd get it for the next 45 years of like going into the the boutique. No, no, not that one. Eh, Try that one on. That's the right outfit. Mm, You know that whole thing that we do now? Yeah, it was actually well done though and kind of funny. True. And different because it wasn't, it was three guys. Normally it's like the women are trying on the outfits, but this time it was three dudes. Are you talking about the scene where they literally fast forward 13 or like five seconds of dialogue into squeaky chipmunk voice? (laughs) Yes. I want to point out a few things that I noticed. In the homecoming scene that we're going to get to, they revert to a slow-mo scene for no reason. At the tux scene, they go to a fast-forward motion, the thing where they just fast-forward dialogue. The P, the PE soundtrack is like, womp, 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 and it like goes in time with ladies' butts. And then there's like kaleidoscope vision at the end. I mean, the director of photography in this, obviously, regardless of making his bold choice to put his name next to a, a hairy vagina, um, had some really interesting choices with like, speeding up and slowing down scenes and i do not know where to begin with them i don't i think that would be de palma i don't think that would be the director of photography i think the speeding up and slowing down all agreed seemingly random uh would have to come from the director or the editor okay there was also a scene at the very end of the movie where all the cars were driving backwards. I rewound it twice to make sure because I thought I was losing my mind. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. At the very end, when someone's walking down a sidewalk, like car goes speeding by or backwards. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> they flipped it and they were like, you know what? No one will notice. Oh, yeah. But Mark was there. I was here to catch it all. Well, it's night of the prom anyway. Carrie's getting all ready. Her mom comes up and is like, don't go to the prom. They're all going to laugh at you. That's really important because uh, that comes back. They're going to make a mockery of you. They're all going to laugh at you. Women are all sinful. One time I had sex and I liked it and it was terrible. It goes on and on and on. It's really like this intense monologue. And Carrie's like, that's great, mom. I'm going to the prom. Good for you, mom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's like, like good, good for you, mom. I'm going to go get mine. Did you, I'm glad you got that all out, but I'm still going to the prom. And so she tries to physically stop her and Carrie like uh, telekinesis her onto her bed, just throws her aside and leaves. And then her mom's like, you should not suffer a witch to live. I was like, damn, he's getting medieval on her ass. Yeah. Was that her saying that she's got to kill her daughter? Yes. Okay. So is Carrie a witch or is she a demon? Is she just an X-Men? What is going on? Everybody's a witch in the eyes of the church. Yeah. Okay. And so then Tommy comes and they actually have like a nice date 
Like he does nice things. Uh, they eat, they have fun, they dance. Like Tommy seems to really be trying to uh, show her a good time. Well, this is the part where she she's like, you know, tell me why you you asked me. And he like kind of like blows it off. But then she like really demands an answer. And he's like, because you liked my poem and it wasn't my poem. Like like he uh, he it's this really weird moment of vulnerability from Tommy that uh, to be perfectly honest, it took me off guard. Like when, when I, when I heard Tommy speaking to her in this scene and she, he's like legitimately caring about her, her growth, her well-being, her experience in life to, to have something that she can look back on that like, or just experience that like is a positive, bright moment for her. Like, honestly, it kind of affected me emotionally because, and it might be because I was a little drunk watching this movie, but like, I was like, holy shit, man, this dude really cares. And that. I was, I don't know. I thought that scene, I don't know if it was director, writer, whoever, but that was very, very well done. That was very poignant for me. Yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, that was really well done. And, but still, I still had this nagging feeling in the back of my mind. It's like, eh, yeah, Tommy's a scoundrel. Watch out. You know, I still wasn't completely on board yet. And it's filmed in an interesting way that I really like in where, like they're spinning and the camera's spinning. So it could be like sort of two different, right? Like maybe, Carrie's heads kind of. Oh yeah, you're talking about when they're at they're dancing, right? Right, dude. I was getting like nauseous watching this scene. It was very dizzying, uh, but I think like like you could take it as like Carrie's getting swept up into this, right? So she her head is spinning. As I was like, man, that is a good use of cinema. Well done, De Palma um, or Mario, whoever came up with that. Uh, I, I just was I liked that, but yes, it was a little bit hard to watch on a. True, I can't imagine what it was like on a movie theater screen. Yeah, and then uh, they pass around these ballots, right? They're gonna vote who is the prom king and queen, and how long does it take to get something printed in the seventies? They just got together to go to prom like the day before, right? You know, maybe we got to send off. We'll get these in a couple weeks kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like think about all the times we had to get school photos in the eighties and nineties, like. It's like, if you don't send this off right now, 18 months before your school picture, you ain't getting shit. You know what I mean? So the fact that they could just get this brand new thing printed up and and put into place for everybody to vote on that night. I would have expected people would have had to write in the names, not circle them. Yeah, John, I think they said write them in, you know? Yeah, well, Tommy says, let's write our names in. So I assumed it was just a blank space that you wrote whoever's name down. I thought it was like prom king, blank spot write it in. No, they put an X next to their name. Oh, did they? I missed that shit. Then you know what? Never mind. Shut my mouth. <laughs> so thanks to uh, the fact that uh, Chris has like, you know, used her friends to rig the voting process. Surprise, surprise. Tommy and Carrie win. Um, they get called on the stage. There's this whole rigmarole. Well, this is the, this is the weird slow-mo scene where it's like, a, a four minute scene of them slow motion walking up to the stage. And I'm like, here she comes, Mrs. Prom Queen. <laughs> it's so weird. The music is like almost serene. It's not like celebratory. It's like, um, well, I just slurred that word. Um, it's, it's very like, kind of like, just kind of like, Hey, sit back and relax, you know, kick back. And I was like, wow, this is a very awkward choice for the soundtrack. Well, my thought is if, you're viewing it from Carrie's perspective. Maybe time did seem to slow down for her. This is a like something that three days ago she could have never even 
imagined in her like wildest dreams, right? That she'd be going to prom with a shampoo model and become prom queen. So like everything has slowed down for her. She can't absorb it all. And it like cuts out like all the audio except the sound too, which is interesting. Or except all the audio except the sound. All the audio except the music. You don't hear like any dialogue or anything really during this time. Which is a weird moment though. Like when she like just like, oh, we won. Like I don't, I don't know. In my mid thirties, I once had a girl walk up to me in a bar and be like, hey, can I kiss you? And I, my response was, what's the gimmick? <laughs> so like through a, through a long life of basically being like, okay, I'm being fucked with on stuff. Like she accepted this result well, way too easy. In my opinion, Tommy put her at ease in the circular dancing scene, right? She was still suspicious even up to that point. Like, you know, Mark had noted, she was asking some pretty pointed questions. Why am I here? Why did you ask me? You know? Um, so she was still not believing it, but he like put her at ease and it he's, obviously very popular, right? So it, maybe she could justify it as they voted for Tommy. I just am coming along for the ride. Okay, fair enough. Maybe it's just my life experience has been garbage. <laughs> and for us, the viewers, you know, if we do take John's visual technique of spinning and getting swept up in the scene where they're dancing and now this slow motion visual technique of Carrie just being like wowed by it all and feeling like she's on cloud nine. I mean, it totally makes sense. Me personally, I could have cut about 30 to 45 seconds off the slow-mo bit, but it totally makes sense uh, when you think about it in terms of storytelling, right? Yeah, it does. So she gets up on stage. Everything is still going pretty slow here as the they're all putting the crown on and everything is very hunky-dory as far as Carrie can tell. Tommy's up there clapping away and, and you see Sue over at the corner of the stage, start to notice that she's right next to a rope. Yeah, where does this rope go? I, Follows the rope, goes up the rope, goes down the rope, up the rope, down the rope, up the... You, figure it out. What is wrong with you, Sue? Get it together. Like, she takes like 10 minutes to like put... <laughs> a plus B equals C. My God, there's blood in that pail. It's like, come on. Square peg goes <laughs> in the square hole. Wait a minute. This can't be right. Yeah, but even... You said Tommy clapping on stage, and I was like, like a train seal that Tommy. He's just dumb as a sack of bricks and pretty as gall get out. Yeah, at the, at the same moment, Miss Collins is over there like watching Sue be weird, and then she starts like just assuming Sue... Sue's doing something wrong and she thrusts her out of the building. Right. So Sue eventually, after, I don't know, an hour and a half, does figure out what's happening and she runs to the stage and she opens like uh, some of the stage curtains and sees Chris and Billy there, you know, uh, about to pull the string and she's trying to talk them out of it. And Miss Collins, in not one of her finer moments, doesn't try to figure out what's going on. She just grabs Sue by the wrist and like throws her out of the prom instead of being like, let me use my people words like, Sue, what's up? Uh, let me look where you're frantically looking. Um, she just picks on poor Sue for no reason. And uh, uh, incidentally saves her life. Yeah. So uh, the the old uh, mousetrap is now in play. Chris is over under the stage and she pulls the rope and the pail of pig's blood goes spilling out. All over Carrie, she's mortified and everybody else is for a little bit until everybody starts laughing at her, just like Mama said, they're all going to laugh at you. And then the pail drops, hits Tommy square in the head and knocks him out. And I couldn't help but laugh at that. I'm sorry, but it was just a little funny to watch that uh, soap model fall on his ass, <laughs> knocked out <laughs> by a pail. 
Uh, but it's a really horrific moment. I felt really bad for him because like in the slow-mo after the, the pig's blood like falls on her, you know, the iconic scene that everyone knows from Carrie with no um, dialogue audio turns around and yells at the crowd like, what the fuck? Like you can at that point, you have confirmation that he was not involved in this. You know, you kind of had an inkling when Sue was trying to stop it. But yeah, he goes, what the fuck? And then out of nowhere, fucking like, <laughs> like vaudeville level slapstick comedy, the bucket just falls into frame, hits him in the head, knocks his ass out cold to the floor. <laughs> I'm sorry. I felt really bad for laughing at it, too. But I was just like, oh, Tommy, you beautiful idiot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's at this time where the blood drenched Carrie starts her telekinetic powers and she's slamming all the doors shut. People are trying to get away and uh, the room sets on fire. It's chaos like you've never seen before at a prom, probably ever, uh, hopefully ever at least. And uh, people are running for their lives. Everybody's getting set on fire, knocked out. And then the principal get his head cut off or something like that. Yeah. I mean, it's just crazy. It's like a, a scene out of Wishmaster. Just a whole bunch of craziness happens. People are getting cut in half. People are getting decapitated. He was probably yelling, Kathy, why? (laughs) (laughs) Still couldn't get the name right, even in the end. Come on. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Things start catching on fire. All the doors are are being uh, telekinetically kept shut. So people are like getting smushed. A good thing to point out real quick is when the teacher does push Sue out of the room, she's outside the gym. Also, right before Carrie goes on this crazy, like, telekinetic, like, rampage, um, John Travolta and um, Chris, oh, wait, Chris and I don't remember the other character's name. Billy. Billy. Come on. You don't remember Billy's name? <laughs> the Dick Whisperer. <laughs> the Dick Whisperer. Oh, Billy. <laughs> Billy, Billy boy. Um, so, yeah, they actually escaped, too. They actually managed to get out of the gym before she does this. So, right now, the only people who have gotten away are Billy and Chris and um, Sue. Right. And then Carrie walks out of the burning gym that the the prom is going on, and she's walking down a road. And then Chris, not able to leave well enough alone after watching the whole high school set a fire, she tries to run her down. And uh, Carrie gets the, the jump on her and flips the car over and then explodes it. But we know it was her. It wasn't just one of those tricks like in the movies where things just blow up because it's made of a gasoline and a lit torch. No, she like zooms in on her face really close to let you know that this is telekinetic explosive power going on here. Well, to be fair, every car in the 70s was made of C4 and rubber. (laughs) True. I'm glad that recall got that all fixed. So many people died needlessly in the 70s. Yeah. Uh, So then Carrie goes home and she cleans herself up. She has another scene with her mom. I don't exactly remember the conversation, but essentially, you know, her mom like tries to comfort her and uh, stabs her in the back. And Carrie gasps and is like, this is some crazy shit. When you say stab her in the back, she literally takes a knife and stabs her in the back. Yeah, we're not talking figuratively stabs her in the back. She didn't sign her up for like the Columbia Record House or anything. Like (laughs) she straight up like jabs her with a knife. And it's actually really sad to see this go down because at Carrie's weakest moment, right? She's just been humiliated. All she wants is her mother to hold her for a minute. Mm -hmm. And her mother can't even deliver on that. She's going to try to murder her own daughter. I don't even think the mother knows that she's killed everybody in the school at this point. You know what I mean? Like this is still just going off of what she experienced before she left home. Right. And it's just, it's, it's tragic. It's, it's so unfortunate for Carrie to have to 
live her life this way and still at every turn just get knocked down. I agree. Carrie's a very tragic figure. That's actually a really good point, though, because like this movie does have a really weird pacing and a really weird like payoff. But the one thing we can all agree on at the end is like you do really feel for Carrie because as she falls on the stairs after being um, stabbed in the back, her mom comes down after her. And then Carrie TK, that's telekinesis for those in the X-Men uh, universe, like flings knives and like butter spreaders and all sorts of things into her mom's body and like crucifies her into a doorway. Like her hands are up, like she's got knives in her. And this was very weird because the mom seems to be fucking orgasming during all this. Like it's not a death cry. It's not a like, oh God, Carrie, why? It's like this weird like, uh, uh. And I was like, whoa, what the fuck is going on here? I don't think it's orgasmic. I think it's more of like paying penance, dude. You know what I mean? Like when you go to church or you get whipped in the back for uh, like... Uh, what do they call it? Abstain from your sins or whatever it is. You know what I mean? Like when someone would whip themselves and it'd just be that kind of painful. Nope. You don't know what I'm talking about? I can, on- uh, no, I can honestly say, <laughs> I mean, I know like in that self-flagulation. Okay. Flagulation. Okay. But I don't know. The, if you go back and watch that scene, it's very weirdly like the way she plays that off. It's like, she's like really way too into getting like fucking stabbed with shit. And I was like, yo, this is definitely birth a few fetishes for people. Um, but no, as the building, like she's in at that point, like she feels really bad and she goes and pulls the knife out of her mom's hand and then tries to pull her off. And this, I have questions about, this is the part where like the house starts imploding on itself. Is that what happens next? Yeah. I think Carrie's destroying the house. She's like, I'm dying. You think it was Carrie? Yeah. I think it was Carrie. Cause I mean, the house wouldn't just start to implode on its own. You don't think it was like the power of Christ compelling her? Unless it was the devil. No, I don't. I don't. I think despite Margaret's religiosity, I don't think that that plays any real role in this. I think Carrie is the, the main driving force behind anything weird that's happening. Um, and I think she destroys the house. Weird. See, I took it as like, because this, I don't want to call it a creature in a, a derogatory form, but like, because this person with like these insane powers was like unchecked at this point, like it was like self-checking itself and like, okay, let's bring this experiment down. I took it as like some higher power, whether it be top or bottom, like being like, okay, let's close the, the chapter on this book. I couldn't believe that. I can see that interpretation. But to be honest, Garrett, I don't know if Stephen King himself would ever lead credence to that uh, mentality that the mother had. You know what I mean? So for her to be such a nasty person throughout all of this and then somehow be proven even slightly right at the end where God actually comes down and crushes Carrie because she's of the devil or whatever. I just, I, I, knowing Stephen King, I don't think that's where he was going with it. Does that make sense? Okay. And I don't know him personally. I don't, I don't mean like, <laughs> Oh, Steve, I want to talk about Carrie. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. I feel the same way. That's the only reason I have a hard time believing that is that would mean that the, one of the worst people in this movie was correct. So how does it end? We see we see like the the rubble of the house, right? And someone is spray painted. Carrie's been dragged to hell, right? Where her house is standing. Right. So and Sue's standing there, and she's trying to lay some flowers. Um, and then a hand shoots up, but turns out it was all a dream. Sue wakes up screaming. Her mom's there, like they're there, you know. Uh, the end. Yeah, and the way that's presented actually was really good because that actually got me. I mean, I knew I've seen this before and I still forgot because like after the house implodes on itself, you you cut to Sue waking up 
in her bed. And then like the mom's voiceover is like, I won't let her go to the funeral. She doesn't need that. All her friends are dead. And then you see her walking up to where the house was, which was a weird choice because wouldn't that shit be like quarantined off as a crime scene? Like houses just don't suck themselves into the ground and people be like, Oh, okay. Lot B's open. You know, like I feel like the cops would have been called. It's dream logic. Okay. Fair point. Fair point. I mean, the mom does get sucked through a tiny little door hole in Friday the 13th. So (laughs) nightmare on Elm street, but yes, uh, I will also agree with you, uh, Garrett, that did get me because I let my guard down and forgot it was coming. (laughs) I was like, Oh shit, a hand. Yeah. All right. (laughs) You got me movie. I wasn't paying attention. (laughs) It is a well-earned jump scare, right? It's one more horror movie should take note that if you use one and you use it really well, it is effectual. If you use 7 million, we don't care about them. But you know what's weird? There's been studies that show that the audiences do want jump scares X amount of times in X amount of minutes. Now, how you choose to implement that and how you choose to use those, I definitely think is up to a, a director's creative vision or a writer's creative vision. But um, it's weird. Like movies that don't have a lot of jump scares and have like really slow builds tend to do really poorly now um, as far as like critics and audiences. It's really bizarre. I totally believe that. There's a much bigger conversation to be had about that that I think we could actually do like a mini about. Um, But it's weird. If audiences don't get their jump scares and they don't get their like horror tropes, they tend to feel like cheated. And it's, it's so weird because I don't feel that way. But I'll be honest, if I watch a movie that's just like all like no horror and just kind of like, oh, that's a bunch of weird characters. um, I, I have a hard time feeling like it was a horror movie. Like Three from Hell is a good example. Like um, really cool movie. Definitely horror in the aspect of like the characters are like psychopathic like monsters. But like it's hard for me to like throw that straight to the horror category just because like there's no real horror element other than violence. Good movie, by the way. The audience don't know what it wants. No, I think the sad part is the audience does. If people didn't like jump stairs, they wouldn't be in movies. The thing is more jump stairs equals more money equal, you know, so... I think the difference is between seeing films as an expression of art or as a commodity. Um, and I think there needs to be an in-between, right? Because you have to have popular films to fund art-type films. You, you, know, you can't sustain a film industry if only the hardest of hardcore fans go see movies, right? So I think you need your paranormal activities to get your midsummers. Yeah, the executives of A24 are like, fuck you, John, we got this on lock. Right, but there's only one A24. Imagine if every studio tried to be A24. I agree with you. I mean, and and that's what's weird to me is like, you know, like we we look at when you go see an action film, imagine if you went and saw an action film and there was no like chase scene or no fight scene. I mean, you would feel kind of like, what the fuck was the point? So imagine the Expendables with one fight scene. You'd be like, what the hell is this nonsense? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like all our beliefs line up that this is a must-watch horror movie for anybody that hasn't seen it yet. Is that right? Yeah. I think this is one of those movies that is not only a good horror movie, but it's a good film. And I think kind of joshed on it a little bit, but it is a really sad film. And it is, I think, a, a, an extreme. But it, like, if, you, if, if you're like a teenager and you're going through it, maybe it doesn't feel that extreme. Kind of encapsulation of what it is to kind of be in the out group and look in. Right. And then to get that chance and get it yanked away from you. So it's just a, it's a good film. Oh, it's very tragic. And this was a, I believe, John, this is one of your choices, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Good call on this one. It's because I had never seen it before. 
Uh, so I use this podcast to watch movies that I haven't watched before sometimes. <laughs> yeah, why not? You picked Jaws as one of your future films. Have you telling me you haven't seen Jaws? I have seen Jaws. No, that one I have seen. I, I picked that one because I bought Jaws on 4K, so I wanted an excuse <laughs> to watch it. Well, speaking about things I haven't seen, has anybody bothered to watch the remake from 2002 or 2013? I skipped both of those. I don't need to see it. No. I watched the first hour of the two hour and 20 minute remake uh, from 2002. And it was so bad. I was like, I am not falling into this sunk cost fallacy. I'm turning this shit off right now. Wow. Talk about a bland, unnecessary. I would rather watch Carrie 2. (laughs) Uh, The 2002 one is almost a beat for beat remake of the movie, except more boring. And since it was filmed for NBC, so it's like a studio, like a network television movie. Gross. No nudity and no effectively no violence. Well, in 2013, Chloe Grace Moretz and Julianne Moore and Judy Greer starred in the remake of Carrie. Really? It's not sitting too well on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. It's like a 50, I think. But um, yeah, I was curious if I'd seen that one. Yeah, I haven't seen that one, but the cast seems good. And 50 on Rotten Tomatoes for a horror movie and a remake, it might actually be better than uh, than I think. That's true. Might be worth a watch just to, just to compare. Um, okay. Well, that's three recommendations from us. Garrett... What are we looking at next time? Next week is, or next not next time, not next week. Um, also, just a little heads up. We still have our Psycho Gorman episode. I apologize. My life has been a little bit hectic right now. I have not had a chance to edit it and get it all prepped. But we will be releasing our Psycho Gorman episode. So stay tuned for that. I'll drop it as soon as it's ready. Consider it a bonus episode. You're fucking welcome. Um, but the next film we're doing in our, our normal uh, playlist is going to be uh, Garrett Choice, a the classic Tokyo Gore Police, which is a little bit harder to find, but my God, if you want absolutely bizarre, over-the-top, graphic, balls-to-the-wall Japanese cinema, you can look no further. This film is fucking nuts. I'll tell you right now, just be prepared. It's It's something to behold. I think I might have seen this one in the past, but there's a there's a, a cluster of those weird ass Japanese movies that get super gory. So I don't know if it's the one I've seen, but I do know Tokyo Gore Police is available on Vudu. I went and looked it up, so I'll probably pick it up there. Anybody who wants to watch in with us, you can check it out there as well. I don't know if it's on iTunes, but uh, yeah, this one's going to be nuts. Um, so just warn yourself, it's going to get gory, it's going to get gross, it's going to get policey in Tokyo and all those things. <laughs> Um, so stay tuned for that listeners have you seen the original Carrie what did you think about it let us know on our social media we got a Instagram a Twitter and a Facebook you can find all things Grave Talk at thegravetalk.com you got any cold opens or suggestions feel free to drop them on us we're happy to take a look also if you guys are out there um, hit us with a like and subscribe Um, I know John says slap that play button or slap that like button. I'm not sure what happens on YouTube, but (laughs) if you're listening to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, um, wherever you find us, go ahead and give us a, um, a rating, uh, a like, if you dig us, if you hate us, you know, Hey, make that known too. We, we take constructive feedback as it is given, but, um, no, that really helps out a lot. It helps us hit the, the stupid algorithms and all that bullshit. So, um, if you haven't done so give us a like. Give us a thumbs up. Give us a star. I don't know how that shit works, but make that happen. And until next time, go get Tokyo Gore Police Watch. See you then.